Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be. One of the popular business models for broadband networks is um, the wholesale model of open access in which the um, community or the, the, the public entity running the network will uh, build the infrastructure and then recruit ISPs to provide services across uh, the network infrastructure. Um, uh, so this has actually been picked up by a lot of folks who are moving down this path. But one of the things I find interesting um, is that the the model requires a fair amount of work. I think it requires more work than some people actually uh, realize uh, that haven't actually been through the process. And so what I want to do today is take a look at uh, one community in particular, Mount Vernon, Washington, that has been using the open access uh, wholesale model uh, since 2002. So they obviously have a long track record with making this work. And I wanted them to provide some some insights to help folks that are at the beginning of their broadband journey and to help you kind of move toward, uh, you know, effective planning to prepare for what lies ahead. So I have the, the City of Mount Vernon's um, Information Services Director, Kim Kleppe, on today. And Kim, welcome to the show. Hello? Glad to be here. So, um, give us a little bit of background on your network. This actually started as the uh, public utilities uh, infrastructure to help basically your internal uh, data communications and then has grown to be a network that provides services to um, to businesses. So let's let's talk about that. How did you guys start? Um, how did you make the transition? And then we'll kind of get into how you decided to work, go with the um, the open access model. Well, yeah, I'm glad to. Uh, we our infrastructure started back in '95 to start uh, all future builds to interconnect all our what we call our institutional network, our other government uh, buildings and pump stations and things of this nature back in 1995. And when we uh, started building this, uh, we included excess capacity for future uh, growth in, in fiber around the community. Uh, this this uh, this got ground, uh, uh, major ground in the early, well, actually, late 90s, about 97, when we bought a new facility across town. It was our public safety facility where our police were located. And uh, the mayor at the time came to me and asked me, how are we going to get this connected two and a half miles away? And we need to be on the same network. And I said, the only way to do it is uh, continue on and build fiber to it. Well, mm-hmm. that, that that took a lot of ground at the time. The uh, uh, He then got educated... Uh, on uh, what fiber could do for the community. And so uh, in that phase of 99, first part of 99, we built the first half of our ring with excess capacity. And we were at that time uh, built a comprehensive plan to allow, to continue with that growth and to also eventually provide excess capacity for fiber for the community, the business community here in uh, Mount Vernon and potentially regionally at some point. So... In 2001, we completed the second half of our ring, going around the city, interconnecting all or most of our city facilities at the time. And then we also uh, partnered in the late 90s, early 2000s with the other government entities like the, the local county, the, our school district, our hospital, our college, our local PUD, uh, our 911 center to provide uh, uh, fiber optic infrastructure to uh, interconnect all those facilities 
and we did interlocal agreements to help provide for uh, with them to use the fiber on the ring to provide for maintenance costs, upkeep of the fiber. And then in 2001, we uh, went out to uh, an RFP to search for a first license provider. And you know, getting the first license provider can be challenging. And uh, we finally brought one and signed one in after the RFP in the early part of uh, 2000. Two, our first provider, and uh, our second provider didn't come along until 2004. And currently, today we have nine providers, and I'm in the process of signing a tenth. Uh, we are fiber currently is being used for institutional networking for local government here, and also excess capacity used to provide service providers to provide services to the. Uh, yeah the customers, whether they're government or uh, business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, so when uh, I, go ahead. I was going to say, when I was up there and uh, for, for your conference, your broadband conference, a uh, week before last, we were having a conversation about this, and you described the, the second ISP was probably the hardest ISP of all the ones to get. Uh, and, and clearly, I mean, it was a two. It was a two-year, you know, stretch between the first one and the second one. What was it that made it challenging to get your second ISP? Well, we were looking in. We each provider, we allow them to uh, interconnect into our head end facility, uh, and trying to find a provider that could provide the services to a quality that we wanted on our network for for data at the time. And there, <clears throat> we weren't getting a lot of, uh, in, in the first year of 2000-2003, a lot coming to the table. We did get approached and finally again in 2004 for another provider wanting to come forward uh, and wanted to, to participate in the fiber network. Um, finding a, of any ISP, even at the beginning, depends on your location and how they're going to get the transport services to your location to be able to provide services on your system, it can be a, a little tricky up front, especially if you're remote and trying to you're not interconnected to some uh, big pipe infrastructure uh, of fiber going outside your community. So you have to figure out how you're going to get that transport. The city here has chosen not to uh, purchase the transport uh, of upstream. Internet. Um, we allow the providers to buy that, and then they can they resell that and do 100% customer service with that, and they provide the IP for their customers. With that model, they got it. Uh, each ISP has to kick interconnected into us somehow to manage that. And uh, in our model here, well, in almost any model, you're going to have to get interconnection upstream to get your uh, IP. Um, it wasn't until 2008, early 2009, until we got our infrastructure on the big ring where we uh, interconnected with Seattle and, and, and Vancouver on a fiber backbone with uh, a backbone provider. And once we got on that, it, it actually allowed even greater capacity and more providers. And by before 2009, we I think we were up to four providers on the network and 2009 since it's easy to get providers because we can get anyone upstream so we have a lot of <clears throat> choices for the uh, end user to choose from mm -hmm. let's uh, break this down a little bit for some of our audience that may not be uh, uh, heavily technology inclined what's the what's the transport um, part of this process, or maybe it might be better to describe, you know, how, you know, in basic terms, does an ISP end up delivering services across the network? Because I think this is something that people, not tech folks, will look at and say, oh, that's that's fairly simple. You call them up and uh, they they show up, and all of a sudden they start running data across the network. But I gather it's much more involved than that. But, but can you kind of break it down a little bit and understand the transport? Because some folks do and some folks do not address this um, this transport issue. Well, the 
<clears throat> the transport issue is really the the uh, data layer uh, where you can communicate uh and across from uh an upstream to a downstream so when when transport is the uh, layer that uh, allows communications for internet and all that it's a uh, one of the uh basically the TCP of the IP protocol where you you got to get internet service uh, fed from and so with the transport we don't buy any upstream transport or basically internet service or data and then allow the ISPs to buy it from us and resell to customers. The ISPs each have to buy their own upstream internet. Everyone interconnects to somebody out there in the internet and provides services through their networking. And everyone has to go to uh, Aaron to get their IP blocks to allow um, communications out there to the uh, real world. And with that, each one buys their blocks of IP, and then they uh, uh, buy their upstream service from someone to uh, resell so they can get connected to other networks. We, on one hand, do have a, have a lit system where the nine providers all come into a meet-me switch, and then from there they can provide services out from there. So we provide the Layer 2 part, but we do not provide the transport part, the upstream, to people who get uh, Internet. Uh, mm -hmm. That is provided to the providers. Um, some entities choose to to buy that layer. It's uh, uh, service, and that, but it can be expensive uh, to a certain extent. Depends on the 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 bandwidth they buy. If they they might have a, a gig network, but they're buying a uh, a transport that their only transport they're buying actually upstream is only a gig. Um, but oversubscription in the in the uh, internet world is it's heavy. Every provider usually oversubscribes that that download speed, which is uh, doesn't really necessarily affect the actual speed of a network. Uh, when you're uh, um, if you have a, a hundred meg connection or a gig connection, you're actually that's the speed you're talking with. And you're, when you're talking out to uh, to our system, you're, the speed you're talking with goes directly to an ISP to whatever service they want to charge them, whatever speed they want to give them. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, um, we have chosen not to go into investing into that uh, layer of service, um, partly because um, we would then be getting into uh, costs and uh, in an area that uh, would be almost to the point was why don't we just provide all the services ourselves? Uh, ah, if I'm going to buy the transport, what do I need internet service providers? If I'm going to buy the transport and IP uh, for internet service, if I'm going to go to that level, I don't need a provider mm -hmm. to do it because now I have purchased all and I can do 100% of the provisioning. Right. Um, and with this, I uh, um, I don't have to do that. I I I'm actually keeping an open access network and let them provide the services. Right. Um, and I don't have the staffing uh, currently to handle that model without right. hiring more employees and then making sure my customer base is high enough. Yeah, I mean, if you go to buy, a, if I buy a gig service, sure, I can buy a gig service. I can spend three to five grand on that by the time I get it here. Or it depends on what I'm doing, and now I'm providing all the services, and now I'm also the the phone call from each customer. Uh, uh, I want more philosophy. Uh, we'll provide the infrastructure, huge philosophy. We'll provide the infrastructure roads for the providers on an open access system to provide the services. The city is uh, to is in the position that we're, we're municipalities. To me, in our city's in position that we are somewhat obligated to provide infrastructure. We provide our roads, we provide our public safety, we provide our fire, uh, we provide. Here we have a sewer and uh, um, sanitation. Not all some cities don't, uh, don't do the higher out parts of that. But we are required to take care of our citizens, and by requiring building the infrastructure for our citizens, then we can, that's what I consider fiber as a necessary, a necessi necessi 
it's a required requirement to have that um, infrastructure in place to uh, allow citizens to get access to that uh, right. kind of infrastructure and with choices um, and competition to keep the cost down. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when the when the when the expense of the transport is then on the uh, being carried by the ISPs, is distance a factor? In other words, um, is the transport something that you pay more for if you're further away, and so subsequently you have to uh, recruit your ISPs from a either a smaller uh, well from a smaller pool, or how does that play into the dynamic? Oh, absolutely. Uh, if, if you, for example, there, if you you have a, a provider that has to buy upstream, and maybe they have to buy an upstream of uh, OC24 or upstream OC48 or OC192. These are uh, a sonic connections for bandwidth upstream from uh, the local telco. They, if if they don't have a fiber interconnection into the city, so if they're buying a hundred meg a gig or a, uh, two and a half gig or ten gig service coming in the city, they have to find a way to way to get that. Now, each time you go upstream to get it, that provider might be up, be buying it upstream from another provider who buys it upstream from another provider, and so all these legs legs of <clears throat> costs get put into play. So, in a small entity that's more remote, what access do they have to get get beyond all these different layers of who owns or who uh, leases the current fiber out there, their own or lease for uh, the dark fibers for their communication equipment to provide service back to you to be able to provide that transport from your entity upstream all the way, and what are they going to charge to get it there? So mm-hmm. all these layers build build into it. Um, so. And then so even though you're um, putting the, the the cost of the transport to have the ISPs carry that, which basically then uh, takes you away from the, the 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 issues of dealing with delivering services directly to customers. You still have to take into account um, what your population density and the and, and certain geographic issues in terms of how far out these folks are, if you want to be able to. Uh, build a uh, significant number of of ISPs. And by significant, I mean maybe three and maybe six. I mean we're not talking like right. twenty five, thirty. But, right. Exactly. But these issues come into play. So how do you how do you um, you know in the planning phase how do you mitigate that? Because you know if I look at the spectrum of folks you know listening to the show, there are a number of them that are in. Uh, small towns or remote towns, um, and then you have others that may be the size of, you know, Lafayette or, or Longmont, where we're talking like 90, 100,000 people. So obviously the potential customer base is going to be uh, much, much bigger. But as a small town, how do you kind of, I don't know, jumble the numbers, work the numbers, make this this thing kind of make sense for everybody that's involved. Well, in our in our case here, uh, we chose not to go into any debt, so we've never been in the red uh, mm-hmm. as we as we built our network, and uh, so we did it more step by step approach. You need to have <clears throat> certain funding to grow. So you do need to seed your fiber with uh, money to uh, keep it going and continuing to maintain it and continuing to grow your system out there to uh, uh, keep your costs down. If you wanted to come in and uh, go in and with a plan, you got to figure out what your model is going to be up front. Mm-hmm. If you want to provide end services to... Uh, um, to a business, what model do you want? Do you want to be the provider? Like in the state of Washington, we have Tacoma, they're the voice video and data provider. Mm-hmm. Um, or do you want to be an open access system allow other providers ride, on, ride in through your service provide customer service? Um, you know, you got to choose your model. Do you want to allow them to come in and manage your system? 
you want to allow them to come in and uh, control your last mile. Um, kind of determine the number one thing you need to do before you even start is uh, figure out what model would best suit your area, mm-hmm. and uh, and it all is based to me on what kind of money you can do the finance. With. And also, and also based on the policy of your state and what you can allow it to do and can't do. Right. We don't have what? limitations in the state of Washington except for the PUDs. Mm-hmm. The PUDs can only provide wholesale services through the, through the state law. Right. For cities, cities, if they're a code city, have a municipal code, they can provide uh, all services, uh, infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So in the... Um run up to then making this decision about which model that you're going to uh, go with is the needs assessment process where you answer a lot of that questions based on uh, what your your citizens want or what's the, I don't know, what's the exercise, the assessment exercise that that leads to making a decision. Well, I, I'm going to go with model A or, or business model B. Um, you know, we're going to try to get five ISPs. We're going to be satisfied with two or one. What what factors uh, contribute to that decision? Well, it all before you even can begin. What you need to have uh, key pieces in the city um, to make it work. Uh, key pieces include you need to have political buy-in with your mayor, city manager, or, or count and council mayor or city manager and council to be supporting the process. Um, without that support, it, it it won't go very far. So mm-hmm. You need to have a buy-in from the city for a role. Then you need to have some sort of champion to help make the system work in your city. On top of that, besides a political champion, you need a technical champion. Uh, uh, with that, you can help get the thing going. With that, you should build a team, a small team, to consider what model best fits your city based on what infrastructure you have in place and what kind of money or revenues or possible grants you can get to build the system. And once I build the system, I build on grant, how am I going to maintain it down the road? Because the different models will incur different kinds of costs. And are you prepared for those down the road if you do a certain model? And are you prepared to run down the road for how much time it is to manage these certain models for staffing? Uh, mm-hmm. And it's all, as in smaller cities, you have obviously less resources to do a lot of that. Um, I am a huge uh, fan of owning the infrastructure in play and... Uh, Allowing multiple providers to provide service gives more options for businesses, and controlling that environment to allow that to stay in place without having one provider come in and take over control. It's be more like a gatekeeper to your uh, infrastructure, and in allowing them to build infrastructure uh, to the last connection. Because if they build the infrastructure, it's not the uh, uh, only source source of gatekeeper to your community. For, Community for mm-hmm. Is there a, um, uh, I don't know, a rule of thumb about how you, um, how would I say this? How do you herd these cats? Because I, I would assume that you know, in the beginning, it's fairly simple. You need a you need a provider to get the whole ball rolling. But then, when you get up to a point where you're going to have five or six or seven. Um, ISPs, you have to start thinking about rules of the road or or whatever. How how do you how does a, a typical uh, community, you know, whether it's the utility or the local government, how do you manage that uh, jockeying that goes on? Well, as uh, uh, one that's been doing it for almost 13 years for the providers, it's uh, it's an evol- it was an evolving process for us because uh, when we first started, uh, we were new and we really didn't know what we were doing 100%. We knew what we wanted and what mm-hmm. we thought we wanted goals and so uh, we've kind of had to learn through the years what will work and what doesn't work and uh, how things can get marketed, 
how things uh, work with providers and how to make things uh, an open and fair network for everyone involved. And so we've evolved that through the years to come up with a uh, better solution today for those licenses uh, that we, we license providers to use our use our system to provide services. But the, what I'm doing now in, for uh, new municipalities, uh, once you find your uh, correct team to make it work and figure out what model best fits your community, um, you need, I would just suggest building a, a fiber policy uh, off of that, how you want to move forward and structure that policy to uh, protect your city and your constituents as well um, for down the road. So I recommend that as a, a beginning phase versus their comprehensive plan that they build to move forward with the fiber. Mm -hmm. is, uh, so those are important pieces. We've also, uh, the, uh, the partnerships with the schools, the hospital, you, maybe your local county, it's really important to uh, to me to participate in a good partnership there uh, to allow that access to be able available for everybody, everyone on the government side. And those are important uh, things to consider. And the number one thing that is missed a lot of times that people build their infrastructure for or need to build their infrastructure for their own institutional networking. The original cost savings we we came from the institutional network here was in excess of $100,000 a year. Well, if you, if, you, if you look at the example, one entity of Santa Monica, Jory Wolf, what they did down there, they realized the cost savings that they had each year um, just for the... Uh, having their own institutional network first have to pay for interconnecting to the facilities. They they put that they saw that they put that right back into the budget for future future fiber growth. Instead of paying it outside to another entity, they put that money each year back in the budget for their own growth moving yeah. forward. Yeah. And it's it's another idea of they, the city was already expending this. If we build this fiber to interconnect our own facilities, now we have you take that punishment that we already were used to paying and put it back into a fund for uh, future growth of fiber and keep it in that fund every year. It's an excellent idea of how to uh, get revenues to keep things moving at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So in the, um, the network infrastructure, um, you have uh, you know you have a ring. You have fiber lines running throughout the, the, the city. When mm -hmm. the ISPs come on board, are they building some X number of feet or yards of fiber from the main network to the doorstep or the premise of their end user, and do they carry that cost? And if they do carry that cost, I assume they pass that on to the uh, subscriber in some way? Yes. I, I, I do uh, use the... Uh, <clears throat> a three-way partnership. I try to extend my D mark as close as possible with uh, funding to the uh, the entity we're hooking up, and then uh, I give a try to keep my rate pricing down fairly consistent for the customer hooking up to a, to a small NRC. And a lot of times, sometimes I work directly with the business owner to help pay for that cost. Um, but in um, if a provider comes to me and they're looking to hook up this building and they want to get them online, I work with the provider. I'll work with the customer, and we'll all share the cost for the city still owns the infrastructure, uh, but we all share to get that customer uh, serviced. And that's the model we currently are using right now. Mm -hmm. and, that is uh, the hardest part for this. <laughs> yes, I, I, I gather there was definitely had to be a, lot, a, a, a fair amount of trial and error, uh, particularly because you guys were starting at a time before, you know, this was pretty widespread, so you didn't have a whole lot of folks to, uh, you know, to copy or to emulate in some way. I mean, I talked to Jury Wolf um, last week, actually, at, uh, in, in Santa Monica, and they've been on the show and, and have talked about, you know, their, their early days and so forth. And it seems like you guys had similar um, 
origins, maybe with the exception that uh, uh, Santa Monica sold services directly to businesses as they were building out the network and then evolved into uh, having ISPs. And, and, and you guys had ISPs pretty much from the, from the outset, mm-hmm. which uh, is, is that correct? Yeah, uh, for our institutional network with other government agencies, we just hooked up our own facilities without any outside providers. When we had providers to provide services to businesses, that's how we started uh, to... uh, uh, The major difference between Santa Monica and us is our timelines are almost identical for all our comp plan and when we started in our building. It's almost... It's kind of almost eerie. It's so close to to, to what we do, to what they do. <laughs> uh-huh. They're on a larger scale than we are by quite a bit. Um, but the one thing that uh, we do do differently, and still today, is they buy the transport, and then ISPs provide the services by turn around and use that transport to sell services to the businesses. So they have four providers currently that he told me that are doing that on their network. And the city no longer provides services. But like uh, Santa Monica in here, 90% of our network is lit like theirs, and 10% of our network is dark fiber leases like theirs. So we have this little bit of a, a small percentage that is still dark fiber to allow a building to building or uh, of a customer want to connect up or a, a provider wants a special dark fiber service to a, a, a business of this nature. So we have some of those. So um, I had a thought. Hold on, it's coming back to me. It's coming back to me. In terms <laughs> of the, uh, the the financial arrangements that you make, are you charging the ISPs uh, like a flat rate, or is it based on their number of customers? or the dollar volume of each customer? How, how do you structure your financial relationship with ISPs? What we do is on each customer, we we, uh, we charge 15% of their gross on any customer charges, uh, or uh, we have a minimum. So if they charge a customer, say, say this two easy numbers, they charge a customer uh, $100, our, our minimum for that would be $25, or or 15%, which is ever greater. So if they charge $200, we would be charging uh, 15% or $30 to use the service. Okay. The rest, the rest of the income, sir, that's our current model with our license providers. So we we do have a minimum. On our, our 10 gig pond, where they can do gig drops, uh, on those connections, we'll charge them a $50 minimum or, or whatever is greater. They want to charge a gig service. And so it's a little bit more, but not a mm-hmm. lot more. To use our infrastructure. So, in some That's, respects, the if I, if I look at it from the ISP perspective, the financial relationship with you, the the wholesaler, is mm-hmm. probably is what the lesser of their costs, say compared to the uh, the transport costs and everything. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, if I'm an ISP, how do I scope out the value? Um, you know, of uh, doing business with a community. So I look at, you know, my transport costs. I look at how much am I going to pay the the the, um, the city or the utility uh, as a fee. And are there other costs that come into the equation for the ISP to be concerned about? Because aren't they carrying all of the marketing costs to the end user? They are carrying all the marketing, but the city also markets too, uh, to a certain extent, to let it out there and to what providers will call off our website to uh, existing providers for services. And okay. so uh, when we typically what happens on a provider cost that they incur besides them buying the transport, or their upstream transport to provide services, they pay us a small fee to use the fiber um uh and then they then the biggest cost is the uh for them would be the NRC for the construction cost which isn't a lot of money but it does it does affect their um ROI on a on a on business whether it makes sense to do them or not it might take a uh a year for them to 
on Sunbury Profitable, but they might sign a three or four or five year deal with that business. A lot of them are two or three year deals uh, when they sign for services. And uh, I try to keep those costs down as low as possible so uh, everyone, the money that I used to get coming back from the uh, providers, I used to help them get uh, more connection, keep the cost down. Mm-hmm. Um, I buy uh, all the materials uh, for each job. I have them on, in, on stocks. So I always have fiber. I always have splice cases. I always have splitters. Whatever I need, I always have things of this nature in stock on the shelf uh, so I don't have to worry about waiting to get supplies. I always uh, do all the permitting, make sure that's all taken care of. We need a permit for a certain kind of job. Um, mm-hmm. and I take care of those costs. Uh, I look at the build into the building, and I try to uh, get the cost of getting the D-mark as close as possible to the building and try to keep the cost of getting... A uh, clear path entry into facility, which is either through a conduit or aerial strike on a building, trying to keep those costs way down. Uh, those are uh, sometimes you run into problems where you're undergrounding and you have to go a thousand feet underground, and well, that that cost goes way up. How's that going right. to get paid for? That's <clears throat> the hard. Those are the hard ones. Um, Do you have ISPs that 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 make demands in the sense of? Uh, you know, you, the the city, or you, the utility, have to have X number of customers before they will think about developing a relationship with you? I haven't really uh, so much run into that uh, because uh, a provider, we don't charge the provider to get connected into us. And I allow providers to uh, up to a two-use space for uh, a switch router at no cost. Where they can come and get interconnected, and they, we don't they don't get charged at all until they hook up a customer. Mm-hmm. We, there's nothing to charge them. We don't charge them if they don't have any customers. Uh, then we don't send them an invoice or anything. Right, um, but I would think. And in fact, I think I've heard other cities talk about this and say, you know, they're trying to get, you know, or increase their number of ISPs. And they said, well, you know, they've ta- they've had conversations with ISPs that say we have to have X number of customers, or else this isn't going to be profitable for us. Which then puts the city in in the in the awkward spot, not awkward spot, but in in the position of having to then go out and and pull those people in. I mean, whether they do marketing or promotions or whatever. But but I guess what I'm pointing at is that in some cases it seems like. ISPs are of the m- mindset that unless you have X, you know, or at least can guarantee X or lead toward X uh, number of subscribers, they're not going to be interested in playing on a particular network. And we have that with one provider here that still hasn't come in. I've worked with them. You know, I've also worked to bring in providers to provide services, too. I've um, I've gone out and talked to some to help bring them in. And I did have one provider here that was trying to get in here. They're a bigger provider out of Seattle. And they couldn't pencil it out. And they wanted the volume here, which you're exactly talking about, to get into making sense of them. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I did run into that. That's great. Hmm, okay. It seems like, uh, you know, if I were giving advice to other communities that are just now starting down the path, that if they're thinking uh, open access model, they need to give as much consideration and as much research to identifying and projecting numbers as if they were providing the service directly themselves, you know, as a, as a retailer. Right, because you don't want to have the the cost, obviously, as a city to to be responsible for you know getting all of those subscribers and so forth. But by the same token, if you want to have some leverage to get ISPs onto the network, the more research you can do as a community 
to identify potential subscribers, even down to maybe how much potential subscribers are willing or able to pay, that's going to help you in the ISP recruitment effort. And absolutely, we did that at the beginning uh, before our first provider. We uh, in 1998 we did our first fiber summit up here uh, at our local college, and where we had Bill Gates Sr. speaking at the time. That's uh, Bill Gates Sr. was the uh, uh, executive director for the Washington State Technology Alliance Group out of Seattle. And uh, we had Bill Gates Jr. coming. If it was we, we previously had both the Gates coming here the day before, but we had to move the date one day, and so Bill Jr. couldn't show. But what we that date we had, we had 325 uh, people there at that summit. All about they were all community based. It was uh, not outside. It was all we were moving forward to move forward with putting fiber in the, for the businesses. And with that, um, <clears throat> the first uh, couple dozen businesses for our first provider was all marketing done uh, from the city, handing them the businesses right to the provider, mm-hmm. uh, myself and our mayor at the time, and our mayor, Sky Reichendorfer, was a huge promoter of this and marketing. And so having that champion as a mayor really got the ground going for us. Uh, and with that, between the two of us, we were able to get the first uh, handing over 20 good businesses to one of the provider right up front within the first year and a half. So that mm-hmm. was, uh, you do need that uh, kind of marketing to understand, well, you, you can't always say, we'll build it and they will come kind of thing, you know, like the, the, the dream fiber field. But... Uh, you have to have an idea whether your uh, constituents want to have the service. You need to do that, and you need to know to what level are they willing to pay, and to what level uh, you want to, what model you want to provide that that you can afford to do as a municipality. But absolutely, when the port, we partnered also with the city of Burlington and Port of Skagit here in 2007 on three-way agreement to build infrastructure uh, through the. the the port of schedule where the regional airport is and to uh, through the city of Burlington. And what the port did out there, <clears throat> they sent out, before we actually were, well, right when we were getting ready to actually build anyway, uh, they sent out a major uh, thing out there asking, would you use the fiber if we built this out there to every business? Because they're all about commercial businesses. And they got a huge response back of yes. And so the port was very enthusiastic to move forward with that in 2007. Because mm-hmm. they want to make sure if we are going to invest in it, are we doing the right thing? And mm-hmm. it got huge support. So every entity Now, in your business model, do you have a threshold, like a baseline of? Uh, amount of business that the ISPs have to bring in in order for your network to be uh, profitable, or are you pretty much already profitable by virtue of the fact that the network serves um, the city facilities and the utilities operation? Well, yes and yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, we are already profitable because we interconnect our facilities, and uh, that savings there we've taken off the books uh, is huge, and probably is in excess of. Uh, I think I did a back in 2001 or two. I did a thing where we were saving about 140 grand a year plus. I'm sure that's the state, uh, and plus getting the incredible networking uh, speeds that we we ever wanted. Uh, currently in a ring, so it, the, the enhancements you get not only come with that part and the huge savings, but with the providers, uh, how we got it built with open access, we don't charge them anything, and, doesn't, and they come in and provide services whether they have one customer or 30 customers. Uh, doesn't matter to us. It's supply and demand. If this customer, if this provider, cannot market or sell his services or is losing businesses then he needs to do a better job of marketing. They they make revenue off of it, and if they want to provide services, 
um, sure, we we will list provider on the website. But if you're not going to go out and actually uh, do anything, we're not going to make any money as a provider. Uh, and so, it's not that we don't uh, help them uh, with a little bit of marketing by promoting them on our website. And also, when uh, a business might call, uh, we point them to the website. Here's the listed provider. Please choose who you want to work with. You know. Uh, and if a provider uh, is trying to price himself too high, we have open competition on the website, so you're going to have to be able to compete with the other providers, keep your costs down. Mm-hmm. So you our model things? helps Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. with that supply and demand part. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things that I am finding, I have been talking to uh, a lot of communities, particularly as of uh, in, in the last few weeks, and um, in the communities where the network started as a uh, infrastructure to support the public utility, if that's who owned it, or to support the local government, it seems that those cities have actually the strongest financial position in order to move forward uh, with this open access model, because the the cost of the services in you know the support internally or to internal agencies and so forth gives them uh, a solid foundation, so that the numbers that they need in terms of actual end user subscribers isn't isn't huge. And and why I bring this up is that. You know, there's a constant drumbeat from the large incumbents that these networks are all a bad idea because they they aren't financially sustainable, yada, 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 taxpayer risk and so forth. But it seems like if your foundation is built on being the infrastructure for the city and the infrastructure for any of the public utilities, your move into broadband to your constituents is not this um you know this massive danger of financial implosion really that's very true you just described yeah or am i simplifying too much no you're you said it exactly uh how it it kind of works you build your own infrastructure for your own institutional network your gains are incredible off of that not only that you're reducing your costs you're also in creating a, a more efficient uh, city by having those connections. You know, you're not mm-hmm. based on a slow T1 or something like that. You have gig or 10 gig uh, interconnections. You move, you know. Everything moves uh, a lot better, more efficiently. So your gains are huge there. Um, your loss, whether uh, we go to the point of not hooking up any customers or doing anything like that doesn't necessarily damage us in the least uh, at all. We don't lose it at all because of that infrastructure. Because we have added that as a fee. We don't make a lot of money off of it, but it's not. It, it, we make enough money to keep all the infrastructure going uh, is what how we look at it. We don't, we're not out there to compete with the providers providing services but to give the roads for them to provide services. We have a different take on it. And whether the road's being used by the provider and they can't market or sell their product doesn't necessarily bother us. Mm-hmm. It's uh, trying to make sure we have the infrastructure in place to provide the needs that our community wants. Now, have we gone one path we haven't gone down is residential uh, for this, and we're, it, it's costly, uh, very costly to install fiber to the residents. Uh, um, do do we want to go down that path? I don't know. Uh, it's uh, could we do it in stages, possibly. But it's not that we're not looking at that possibility. It's uh, it's the uh, incredible cost and can be a credible burden on the city, and we don't feel that we should have the taxpayers paying for that necessarily, mm-hmm. um, unless the taxpayer base votes and says do it. You know, mm-hmm. it could. That's how we look at it. Does taxpayers want it or not? If they don't want so, it and they don't want you to spend the money, you can't go down that path. Right. But let's look at this for a second. I mean, what – okay, so in the 
model that we'll call, say, a majority of the folks uh, communities get into. Uh, they build the infrastructure. They cost justified based on internal use. They go find providers who sign on businesses, but it's being done in such a way that the the, in, the costs are incremental and they're easy, fairly easy to to recapture, right? But when you change Correct. the dynamic and go into the residences, what changes? Because I would assume that if you're going to go to, you know, residential area B, that you would find an ISP that, you know, feels comfortable selling to general consumers and say, look, we've got neighborhood A and they've got 500 people or 200 people that want to buy services. We've built the, you know, the infrastructure to within, I don't know, half a mile, 300 feet from that community. Can you come on board and serve that? In that kind of a scenario, is there is there really a lot of extra risk, or what am I missing? Well, it's not so much the risk. Is uh, when you're going into that world, it's the uh, NRC, the non-recurring cost of building the fiber. Turning it up for services is a small piece of that. Uh, the cost is smaller at that end. It's actual cost to build each entity because home home for, home business. Homes do not want to pay for any of that fiber install. When you uh-huh. go to hook up a connection, they don't want to pay for any of that because they want they want to be able to get the voice video data and they don't want to pay much for it. Because why would you? That's that's how we're brought up in our residence. We want to keep our costs down. Whether you're using a current incumbent, it could be Comcast, could be Cox, it could be uh, Charter, doesn't or, or whoever as your provider, or it could be Frontier, Verizon. And a lot of the what well, they pay for those costs to hook up the business or the residential uh, and no very little install charge. They'll charge a little, and so but they're already have built into that market. When you're going as a city and you got to go build that fiber market into that area, and if you have to go underground, it's a huge cost. So who's going to take that burden of cost? You might have mm-hmm. a 200 homes that want it, the fiber. And they're not paying for any of that, hardly any of that install costs, pennies on a dollar. And you, it might cost you 100000 to build that. Well, who's going to pay for that 100000 you want the city to try to pay for that 100000 through uh, bonds or revenue bonds to try to support this in certain ways so it's not a tax burden uh, back to the, uh, the, the end user? So you got to f- be able to figure out what is the – that's where you really need to talk to your residents or constituents just find out, is this something that you want the city to be able to provide you? Do you want to have this uh, bandwidth in your neighborhood? Do you really need this bandwidth in the neighborhood? Because you're, now you're going into that uh, uh, heavy cost build uh, thing that uh, how is it going to get paid for? Mm-hmm. It's not so much uh, being able to do it and uh, maybe penciling out that this is a good revenue source for a provider it's the install of all those homes and infrastructure. You but know, that's like basically Kasha. what Google was doing, though. I mean, but Google was basically coming in to build that kind of infrastructure, and it seems like what Google is doing is saying we will uh, absorb that cost, that build-out cost, in those neighborhoods where the population has indicated they will buy our services at seventy dollars a month. You know, or whatever. So that's your and to answer your question there, will the constituents allow you to use taxpayer dollars or bonds of some kind to move forward with that install? Google has big money, uh, so Google can afford. They have a big bank sitting there where yeah. So what if it's a couple hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars? We have the money to build in that area, and we we can absorb. A seven, eight, nine, ten-year uh, rate of return on our investment because we are building that and we can absorb that kind of money flow. A lot of cities can't do that, right? And uh, and they got to make sure their constituents are willing to buy into that kind of a program. So that's the issue: is can you go to the point of bonding it, or can you go to the point that taxpayers are willing to uh, invest into something like that? You know, uh, raising property taxes, some cities do, to help invest in the fiber infrastructure. 
revenue bonds out there to basically doing a ever 10 or 20 year revenue bond to help support building the infrastructure in the area. These are these are ways some cities do it, but they've had to have citizen buy-in at first to do that. Yeah, right. is this the right thing to do? Are you really the risk you're taking to do that? What happens if it falls apart? Right. But in some bonds sitting out there. Right, but in some respects, we only have about four minutes, but in some respects it seems like you're looking for maybe a different kind of partner then, right? Whereas you guys and Santa Monica and a whole bunch of other places are looking for ISPs who can support the business um, market where the dynamics and the willingness to build out the infrastructure to the business premise is very different than than in the uh, residential area. But then it seems like, well, then the alternative is to find maybe a partner such as Macquarie in the utopia scenario where basically Macquarie comes in and says, we're willing to build into these um, residential areas and we'll absorb the front-end costs, well, pretty much the same as Google's doing, but we will structure a partnership with the city, and, and in their case, it's a revenue share and so forth, but Macquarie represents a very different kind of ISP than many of the networks that have open access, and they're also a very different kind of company with a different dynamic than Google. And that would be a great partnership with the city if they can partner that way to give what is needed for the constituents. If you can find a partner to do that, I uh, I am working on one right now with that possibility. And I don't know where it's going to go yet, uh, but I am working with some possibilities to try to do some of that. And uh, in maybe in another year, I'll have that answer or less, <laughs> because it's it is a it is another phase because we've never been in the part part of uh, trying to uh, go to residential, or and then if you do residential, do you just pinpoint? I'm going to do this part because I can do this, but why, why not this one over here? Well, this one's easier to do. But, uh, it's newer homes or this. Well, what about the low-income homes? How are you going to provide services mm-hmm. over here? You know, or, or maybe you go into low-income apartments or something like that. Those are a little easier to do. Um, providing a provider of that, uh, then uh, and what costs you want to expend to allow services. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of little things you can think about when you're going. You don't. Uh, do you cherry pick your neighborhood, or um, do it like Google does, where they get buy-in in a neighborhood, then they build in the neighborhood? You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, what's the best method? Uh, we're learning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, this could be our last question, and so I'm going to propose that communities, if they want to have broadband impact healthcare delivery and telemedicine, or they want to have broadband impact education. And they see education, you know, the impact of broadband on education is having an economic development impact. That in order to achieve either of those goals, you have to find a way to build the network into residential areas because they have to be on the network for telemedicine or new education software to do what it does. So, in 30 seconds or less, is that, do you think that that's true? And does that provide an impetus to go out and find? The residential side of things. It it, it is somewhat. Uh, it is true uh, what you're saying to a certain extent, uh, but to what what pipe uh, or bandwidth does the uh, end user need, or can they even get access to internet for telemedicine or, or education? Um, we are trying to come up with uh, areas where we can do uh, work with our school district to get closer to kids that can't afford to get internet. And we're kind of trying to come up with solutions for right now with our local school district that is on the fiber. And we're working on that right now. That, that's a tough thing to answer uh, mm-hmm. and with the costs and trying to get it there. And do you build pods out there or a small uh, wireless access areas out there for this? Or do you build um, little uh, community centers where you put uh, infrastructure so they can come in and use. We have a couple of those around the city currently. Mm-hmm. Is that the right method, or do you have to try to get it closer to their where they live? Um, right. That's a and hard thing that, to answer. Yep, I hear you. And that's going to have to wrap it for our show. We're just about out of time. 
Kim, thank you very, very much for being with us and providing these insights, and we'll keep you in the loop, and I'll probably get you back on the show again in the future. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> I enjoyed it. Um, you, got, you have a wonderful week, and we'll chat with you uh, next time. Great. Thank you very much, and have a good day. You too. Bye.